You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as the summer marches on, tonight we welcome the return of resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine. Avril McCardle from MyMilkman.ie will be talking about the role of the door-to-door milkman and how it has changed and evolved over the years. I'm out and about and visit the wonderful Castle Duro in County Leash where I meet Sarah Stokes to talk about this beautiful 300-year-old castle. And finally, Finally, at the end of the show, we'll be joined by editor Caroline Gray to find out about the latest issue of Easy Food magazine. Before we welcome our first guest, here's how to get in touch with me. You can send me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So, as I said, tonight Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine returns with a new restaurant review and I'm looking forward to finding out where she's been of late. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, welcome to the studio this evening. Hi Sharon, thanks for having me. We missed you last month, you were off on your travels, but we'll talk about that another time. Tell us where you're going to talk about tonight. Uh, somewhere a lot closer to home than uh, than where I was last week. Uh, I, I, I'm going to talk tonight about Azura Restaurant in George's Quay in Limerick City Centre. Now I know this restaurant, mm-hmm. however, it is a long time since I was there. And the reason that I was there was whenever Limerick used to run the Love Gourmet Week promotion. Oh yes. Which I thought was a great marketing campaign to get people to try new restaurants. It used to be a week in June and there was value menus in a number of different places for that week and Azure would have been one of the, the restaurants we went to. Now, I, I can remember now, it's actually five years ago because my daughter Hannah was only a few months and my parents must have been down and we all piled into the, the jeep and the in-laws and everything. It was a real kind of, I think, probably one of the first meals out that I had with this teeny tiny baby. So, <laughs> And it was a memorable occasion for all, all the right reasons because we did have fabulous food that night. Did you? Yeah. And you found that they looked after you as a family yeah, and it, it worked well. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I didn't realise how big it was, uh, Sharon. I, I think I always drove past it, saw the few seats outside um, there just beside the lock bar and on the water. And never actually realised that it's enormous inside uh, there's so much space and plenty of spaces for groups like families especially if you've got the in-laws and everything down and um, and there were quite a few parties there and people celebrating and things like that when we were there so it was a surprise to find this place sort of on my doorstep that I hadn't been to before If memory serves me correctly they've lots of nice fish dishes on the menu They do for some reason um, I had always assumed it was pretty much exclusively a fish rest- a res- restaurant but, um, but looking at the menu yes certainly they do feature some, some really nice fish meals um, but no it's quite quite a variety it's kind of Irish based uh, with a heavy European influence so it's, it's all sort of familiar recipes um, which are executed with a little bit of a twist you know tell us then about your dining experience how many of you were there that night there were four of us um, we joined what I can only describe as an enormous throng of people outside uh, by the water on a gorgeous summer's evening um, late summer of course but it was 
ideal one of those evenings that the sun is splitting the stones and you can't bear to be inside and uh, we were very lucky to be able to get a table uh, outside at Azura restaurant we rang ahead and I think that's the key so you were actually eating outside eating outside Fabulous. yeah felt like we were in the south of France it was absolutely gorgeous yeah so of course what else can you have but Prosecco then you know so we ordered a bottle of that which was 30 euros so not, ter- not terribly expensive um, and that kicked off the proceedings very well sounds lovely mm. a good start to the <laughs> evening what came next um, I actually chose a simple risotto it was very very. it sounded actually fantastic it was butternut squash um, with crab meat and then when I when I received it or when it actually came out I could see that it was drizzled with a little bit of olive oil and a sprinkling of parmesan shavings uh, it turned out to be a very luscious dish, a dish very uh, decadent uh, while also very rustic and very simple in, in the other side so it was a very very nice way to start very filling possibly but um, that's my own fault not the that's chefs. what I find with risotto you have to be so careful with the portion size because it, it can be extremely filling it is a lovely dish now one of my favourite dishes I have to say yeah in hindsight I may well the next time order it as a main course because it is certainly filling but uh, that's my said my error in ordering uh, when I don't have a very empty tummy but uh, my husband actually ordered uh, the Azure's mini surf and turf which is getting back I suppose to that fish aspect um, it was gorgeous arrangement very very artful it had pork belly crackling sautéed prawns and then these plump yawning mussels just the way you like them um, there was again roasted butternut squash puree on the plate just a little swirl of it and then crumbled black pudding which Anthony absolutely adores so it was a real mix of sort of like land and sea very unusual combination I was just going to say yeah yeah well it was um, it was kind of a little taste of the terroir as well as um, a taste of you know Irish and the Atlantic Ocean um, and all that they that has to offer so it was a really really nice introduction to the different flavours that were going to come and for 10 euros very good value as well oh yeah that is great value and the other two people then that you were dining with how did they fare with their starters um, I think they joined us late. They have a okay. small baby, so they skipped starters and, and went straight to uh, main course. Uh, as you know, babies sometimes can put the kibosh on, on uh, <laughs> dinner plans, so uh, they walked him around the block until he got tired in the heat and then joined us afterwards. So moving on to the main course then, what did you enjoy for a main course? Um, I think that I just had, uh, even though it was a gorgeously hot day, I got a hankering for beef. And sometimes, no matter what, um, nothing's going to sort of say that except uh, some sort of steak or beef dish. So I had slow braised Hereford beef, which was served on a pillow of spring onion and chived mashed potatoes uh, with roasted root vegetables and then this lovely heady pool of red wine jus. So a very wintry dish uh, in hindsight. I ordered it because I sort of it appealed to me. I wanted it. But then when it came out, I went, oh, jeepers, am I going to be roasting altogether <laughs> this but no it turned out to be beautiful I suppose it was cooked with a quite a deft hand uh, the beef was fall apart tender the mash was nice and light and, and uh, kind of very fresh in its flavours as well so it didn't at any point feel that I felt um, too full or too full of stodge it didn't feel like that at all it was a very very um, hearty dish um, but also presented beautifully it had a very sort of refined uh, beauty a little curled parsnip crisps and uh, neatly stacked ingredients so it was, uh, in terms of presentation it ticked all the boxes and that's a difficult dish to present in a beautiful way sounds fabulous mm, it's very very nice I have to say of course I didn't eat all of it but Anthony quickly took up the mantle and uh, took care of the end of that and what did he have for himself that no doubt he did not share with you uh, there was a bit 
of a battle, but I got a small bit of a taste. It, uh, he had chunky pan-fried fillets of monkfish. Um, they were served with sliced potatoes, shredded leeks and wilted spinach um, with salty bacon, lardon and uh, bear blanc. So again, that's the European influence. I really felt there was, a, there was quite a, a French aspect to that dish. Um, and it was probably a well-chosen dish for the evening in terms of the sun and being out there in the heat. It was very, very um, fresh and light meal and he enjoyed it an awful lot. I'd say the server, when she was bringing or he was bringing the dishes, I'd expect the, the, the meat to go one direction and the fish to go a different direction. Absolutely, he did. Yeah, that, that, that tends to happen quite a lot, but he always ends up collecting both plates from Anthony. So uh, he gets the, <laughs> the last laugh. After all that then, did you have room for dessert? Just about. Uh, we shared a dessert, which we often do because at that point, it's um, yeah, we're reaching the, the bounds of, uh, of satiety, I think. So we had uh, eaten mess, um, which I haven't had in years nice, actually yeah, yeah nice dessert again this kind of um traditional sort of harking back to childhood sometimes on an evening like that you just want something um something sweet and something simple and this ticked all the boxes it was uh, it, it was just this sort of slightly messy confection of meringue whipped cream and then droplets of berry and strawberry coulis so it was a, a very nice um refreshing way to finish did you enjoy any wine whenever you were having your other courses? We made the Prosecco last. Um, that yeah, was, That was very skillful. <laughs> we did. We did um, for, for that meal anyway. We may have gone on for gin and tonic somewhere else, but we did. We made the Prosecco last. And it actually worked brilliantly. Um, it was a very sort of uh, off-dry um, particular Prosecco, so it, it worked well with all the other various different flavours. It wasn't empowered by anything, but uh, by uh, empower, over... It wasn't, uh, <laughs> it stood up well, I suppose, to all the different dishes, um, but at the same time held its own. So it was perfect. In terms of price then, how did it fare in terms of the cost of the overall bill and value for money? Well, they do have um, quite good offers in terms of courses. Uh, they have €23 Euro for two courses or €28 Euro for three. Um, but it's a quite a restricted amount of dishes that are on that, um, th- th- those particular uh, value menus so we ended up ordering a little bit from each which comes up to a bit more expensive but but not terribly either it was 96 euro in total that was two starters two mains a dessert and a bottle of Prosecco and the bottle of Prosecco was 30 euros exactly so whenever you take that out of it and it's 66 it, it's, euro yeah, yeah exactly which is about 30 euro ahead which is very very good so it sounds like you would recommend it I would definitely recommend it um, and it looked on that particular evening anyway that I, I'm not alone in that it was very very busy there were not a lot of people there so I would definitely advised to call ahead and reserve a table particularly outside um, I'm waiting for the next good day and I'm definitely going back to, to get that table again well fingers crossed that that day comes sooner rather than wouldn't later. it be nice it's not looking hopeful but yeah fingers crossed <laughs> so it's a Zura restaurant what is the exact address it's just down from City Hall or down from the potato market there exactly yeah. across from um, the courthouse as well it's beside the lock bar um, if you drive into Limerick on a sunny day basically just follow the crowds uh, you You'll, you'll always see them up there it's, on, it's actually called George's Quay George's and it's only about I think two blocks away from King John's Castle as well so it's in that nice medieval quarter of Limerick Okay great so thanks very much for coming in to tell us all about that this evening you'll be back next month with a new review for us tell us where you're heading to next um, I'm going further west I'm going to uh, Dingle which okay. is always a nice place to Just to in visit. time for their food festival now that's at the end of September will we look forward to that in the meantime fingers crossed now for that sunny day thanks for coming in tonight Thanks a million Sharon great to be here Cheers Chin chin Salut Schleinter
Thanks again to Rachel and if you have a top class eatery that you think she should visit to review, feel free to send me the details to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be sure to pass it on to her. Still to come tonight, I'm out and about and visit Castle Duro and County Leash where I meet Sarah Stokes to talk about this beautiful 300-year-old castle. And finally, at the end of the show, we'll be joined by editor Caroline Gray to find out about the latest issue of Easy Food magazine. But before that, our next guest joins us on the line. Avril McArdle is Head of Doorstep Marketing for MyMilkMan.ie, the 21st century local delivery milk service. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Avril, it's great to have you on the programme and you're in charge of doorstep marketing for mymilkman.ie. Yes, thank you, Sharon. Thank you for having me on the show this evening. And I want to start off talking about the milkman because the role of the milkman dates back a number of years and it has evolved thanks to technology. Absolutely. Um, some people think the the milkman is a dying breed, but milkmen have always been in existence and have always worked with the dairies in Ireland. Um, our doorstep business, which is what we refer to as the, the home delivery service of milk, has always um, been in existence. And at its peak, about 30% of all milk consumed in Ireland would have been delivered to customers' doors by the milkmen. However, in the kind of mid to late 90s, that would have dropped to as little as 3% as consumer behaviour changed and buying habits changed. So it has been one of these industries that has gone from, you know, big peaks down to, you know, decline and is now growing again um, due to, as you mentioned, the changes in technology and the changing consumer behaviour as well that supports that. Before there was technology, it was all about the milkman going to the dairy, be it in his pony and trap, his horse and his cart, or the electric float, which I would remember. Hope I'm not yeah, giving absolutely. away my age there. No, I'd remember that as well. You know, and, and and then of course the the vehicles got more advanced, but as you say, consumer behaviour did change also and milk was readily available twenty four seven from different sources. Yeah, absolutely. I mean The milkman has always been the absolute backbone of a community. You know, people fundamentally relied on the milkman to get their milk. So as you said, ever since the beginning, it was the milkman going to the dairies and actually getting the milk to people's houses so that they could use the milk. Um, As things changed, and particularly we noticed it in kind of mid to late 90s when there was an explosion of um, bigger supermarkets, later opening hours, more corner shops, um, more garages and um, you know people having a convenience store very handy to them people started picking up things like milk which is such a um, regularly purchased item uh, could pick it up more regularly and didn't have to rely on it being brought to them as much so that really did change how people consumed milk bought milk and, and shocked But what we saw was um, in about 2008, we really started focusing on this channel again. um, And we saw an opportunity to build it back up because of the changes in consumer behavior. A lot of people um, mistakenly assumed that milkmen didn't exist anymore and it wasn't a thing. Um, However, the milkmen were always out there and a lot of them stayed with very loyal customers. It was just on a smaller scale. 
So we started back in 2008 investing in this channel and building back up the level of nationwide coverage, increasing the amount of customers. Um, We did that through things like door-to-door canvassing and actually getting out into local areas and, you know, talking to people at the door about the service and, you know, the milkmen themselves did it as well. Um, But in about 2011, we realized that there was a real opportunity to take it to the next level and we could adopt new technologies and explore whether we could implement e-commerce and online orders. And that actually worked really well because the milkmen are the people running the service. So the milkmen have all these fantastic relationships with their customers. They provide the fantastic service. Whereas in Glombia, we were able to support that initiative with our resources such as sales and marketing and digital expertise. So when we all got together, we were able to create a really, really fantastic platform that brings reliable service to the houses of Ireland, but it uses the benefits of a digital age, which now can obviously make everyone's lives easier. So people can find out about the service much easier and quicker. They can sign up quicker and the milkman gets paid easier as well if he gets online payments. So it has really evolved even over the last 10 years at a huge pace. You mentioned there about the online payments, which is a huge benefit not only to the milkman, but also to the consumer that you don't have to go hooking in the purse on a Friday night to get the the money to pay for them. But also you find yourself on an aeroplane going on your holidays and you realise you forgot to leave the note out for the milkman. Well, you only have to go online now and pause your order. So the technology, it is a win-win situation for both the consumer and the milkman. Absolutely. And I think the beauty of what we've created by working so closely uh, between ourselves in Glombia and with together is that we've covered all the audiences. So, for example, we've created this really kind of hybrid model that if a milkman or their customer prefers to do things the traditional way, then they can stay doing it that way. However, because we have an online platform now where people can pay online and manage their orders through the app or through the website, and even from a point of view they can text or email their milkman if they don't want to be leaving notes out or talking at the door or they can still pay cash and still see their milkman once a week but they can still do all the management of their account online and actually make sure they can keep an eye on their orders and like you've just mentioned there they can still pause their order or change their order or add something new for the next delivery but they can still pay cash if they want so there really is something to suit everybody and we've really worked hard to make the milkman relevant to everyone so that we're not alienating any particular audience and um, by moving things too far into the new technology so the people that prefer the traditional approach don't get left out either because yeah, we're always going to get people that just aren't ready to take that technology on board absolutely and i mean the way we have it now is about half the milkmen that we would work with would be fully online and have their customers online um, and would run it, run their business using the Milkman app. Um, and there's half that would still prefer to do it the traditional way, and, and that's fine. Um, but people are coming along all the time, and we are converting and working with the Milkman all the time. Um, I think for us, though, what, what's really um, encouraging is every single Milkman that has come onto the online platform and moved towards using the new technology, they've all really embraced it and nobody has ever come back off it because it works and it is really saving them time and saving them money. And I think in a Milkman's world, time really is the biggest commodity. It takes so much time for them to deliver the milk to hundreds of houses. 
a number of times a week and then obviously returning back to all those houses again to collect the cash. So there really wouldn't be enough hours in the day if they wanted to keep growing their round and serving more customers. So having a platform like this and the online payments has genuinely given a lot of these guys back a lot of time. So they really are feeling the difference. And the time can make it a very long day for them if they have to go out and do those money collections at night because obviously they are having a very early start, which isn't for everybody. But you have a great story about a father-son who are working in the business together. Yeah, we have actually a a number of family milkmen where we have brothers working together. We have father and son teams. Um, It really is a family business and we've seen that a lot. But one of our milkmen, uh, Tom Gaskin, is actually uh, working as a milkman for over 50 years now. And he has two sons that have gone into the milkman business as well. Tom Jr. and Tom Sr. are featuring together on our Premier Dairies pack because it's also Premier Dairies 50th anniversary this year. And Tom actually started off as a Premier Dairies milkman in Dublin. So it's a really nice way to actually... um, you know, recognise the, the milkmen that have been out there doing this pretty tough job for over 50 years and delivering milk to the, the houses in Dublin as well. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a great opportunity for people as well. Um, as a milkman, you know, you get to work your own hours and run your own business. And when you do get the time back and, and the savings that we've managed to um, give them, you know, it's a nice balance as well to be able to move things into um, embracing new technology. Isn't it great that his sons weren't put off by the early starts that they probably grew up with that and it was all they knew and into bed early at night because my father was a greengrocer and he would have been getting up at half four or five o'clock in the morning. So in our house, you everybody was early to bed because he was getting up the next day and he needed the peace and the quiet at night. And it's something that I still enjoy getting to the bed, you know, yeah. at a reasonable hour every night and something that I'd be trying to pass on to my own children yeah absolutely and I think it is a cultural thing and as you said people that have grown up with it are way more used and I think that's where they're more exposed to the nature of the business Um, and certainly again all our milkmen are such family men as well that a lot of the sons would have been put to work very early going out to help dad on the rounds and help with the milk rounds and even you know a lot of people that would have had milkmen growing up like I would have had like my brother remembers going out to help the milkman you know all the the boys in the area would have you know given their right arm to go out and actually help the milkman do his deliveries and and give him a hand so there's certainly an element of that um you know being exposed to it from a very young age as well and the glass bottles with the cream at the top yeah absolutely I think um I think everyone remembers the glass bottles fondly um but the industry has obviously um, definitely moved away from that now and from a health and safety point of view and a production point of view I think it's it's going to be cartons from now on. Absolutely yeah and we have to point out that it isn't just milk that a number of the milkmen deliver that there are other products there that that people can order and one of the benefits of it being online is that you can see what those products are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to the glass bottles, you literally got your milk in a bottle and that was it. Um, And, you know, we talk about technology and and how things have evolved, but it is the same from a production point of view and moving to the cartons um, means we can produce different types of milk and how the milk actually gets um, produced. So 
the product range on my milkman would be the full Avonmore product range. So we would do obviously super milk, slimline milk, protein milk, um, Muji, which is our flavored milks. Um, and then we have very specific products as well, like our lactose free milk and our heart active milk as well. Um, again, it's actually um, a really nice angle from the my milkman piece of actually having the delivery, particularly in rural areas where some people really rely on the milkman to deliver those kind of specialist products if people are free or things like buttermilk that, you know, they're not as readily available locally just to pick up on a whim. So you can actually rely on having it delivered on a certain day of the week as well. Fantastic. Well, it is a service that's, that is available nationwide. I personally have a milkman in Newcastle West, so in West Limerick, it's readily available as well. If people want to find out who their nearest milkman is, what's the best place for them to go to? Yeah, if they go to the website, like we do have milkmen in every county in Ireland and have really good coverage around the country. So if they go to mymilkman.ie, the first thing you can do on the homepage is actually um, look for a a local milkman in your area and just find your address. And if your address is there, you just fill in your details. And once your milkman approves you, then you're up and running and you can see his full product range. You can choose what days you want your deliveries on. You can do it all yourself. And then once you're approved, you're up and running from there. And it's a great way to support local employment. Absolutely. And that's something that our research and talking to our customers, it comes through really loud and clear. Um, All our customers around the country really like the fact that their relationship is actually with their local milkman and all these guys work in their own local areas and are delivering to a local base. Some people have been, as I said, some milkmen have been working for 30, 40, 50 years. Some customers have been with them for 20 years or more. So they have amazing relationships and actually know the family really, really well. And a lot of their customers would actually consider the milkman as almost part of the family at this stage. Avril, great to talk to you about it tonight. It is a great way, as I said, to support the local economy and support local employment. And um, we wish them all the best. We thank them for the service that they provide. It is a very early morning start, which might be fine at this time of the year whenever the sun is coming up and the birds are singing. But whenever it's dark, cold and wintry, it, it maybe isn't as nice. So fair play to them, hats off to them. And thanks for talking to us about them this evening. Absolutely. Thanks a million for having me on the show, Sharon. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine has been in studio reviewing her latest dining spot. And just before the break, we were delving into the history of The Milkman with Avril McArdle, head of doorstep marketing with mymilkman.ie. And we were marvelling at how technology has really complemented the service. But don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far and you want to catch up on what we've been talking about, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge on itunes and download it there or you can also use the podcast app 
And still to come tonight, I'll be finding out what we can expect from the latest issue of Easy Food magazine with its editor, Caroline Gray. But before that, we're heading out and about. Castle Duro and County Leash recently celebrated 300 years and I was delighted to accept an invitation to afternoon tea in the historic landmark. When I was there, I got the chance to talk to Sarah Stokes. So let's have a little listen to what we talked about. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sarah, I'm here in County Leash in Duro, in the fabulous Castle Duro, which has a few years under its belt and you celebrated a very important landmark this year. Yeah, so it's great to have you down, Sharon. So yeah, we've been celebrating our 300 year anniversary this year. Castle Duro was built in 1716 by Captain William Flower. Um, and then later it was inherited to his son who turned into Lord Ashbrook um, and the Ashbrook still exists today. Um, and yeah, so we've been celebrating our 300 year anniversary this year. We've had a fantastic garden party in the end of May. Uh, we had tons of press down, family, friends, it was a big barbecue. Um, a lot of family, or a lot of um, young kids came down. So it was a big family affair, it was fantastic. So yeah. <laughs> It hasn't been a hotel for 300 years, so we need to point out, and you certainly have not been here for 300 years. <laughs> no, and I would be looking great <laughs> if, it was being, yeah, if we were here for 300 years. And you have a very interesting story about how it came to be in your family, so just tell us about whenever yeah, you were, we'll, you were we'll start six from or the, seven. We'll start from the beginning. So it was built um, by William Flower, who I explained before, um, and it was, uh, it was a country house for them and their family, up until 1922 when it was then they left and moved back to England and it was then bought by uh, a farmer over in Kilkenny who then used it as um, basically as farmland he took all the oak trees out of here it was a 3,000 acres worth of land that uh, was full of oak and he sold it to the to the UK and it was then turned into a convent um, by the nuns here for a couple of years before they turned it into a school it was a school up until maybe five years before my parents bought it um, Peter and Shelley Stokes owned uh, quite a lot of restaurants in Dublin they owned Cooper's um, I don't know if you've heard of it um, and they just wanted to move to the country and explored some opportunities uh, nationwide to see if they could open up a small B&B or hotel um, and one day I was lucky enough to be in the car with them uh, me and my best friend were sitting in the back and we passed the doors and we went in and lo and behold it was Castle Duro. My parents completely fell in love with it and within a couple of weeks it was theirs. So they packed up from Dublin, sold everything and moved the family down to Leash. Um, so it was taken, it took a couple of years, I'd say it took us about four years to get the place up and running. Um, a lot of work, a lot of sweat, <laughs> a lot of tears, but they got there and this place is not just a home, uh, sorry, not just a hotel, but it's a home to us. Um, we all live down here, we all work down here, so it's a great sense of community. Tell us about that day whenever you first came here with your with your friend and with your parents, because I would imagine the condition that the building was in then is some, was somewhat different to what it is today. Definitely. It was very run down. It actually hadn't been lived in in a number of years. Um, and before we bought it, it was a school. So there was a lot of classrooms, there were locker rooms, there was dorm rooms. So it was completely different to what it is now. Um, they didn't have a lot of upkeep back then, so a lot of the 
the walls were quite damp, the roof was completely caving in, a lot of the old fireplaces weren't working, the windows were smashed. So it was a huge job for my family to to repair and kind of uh, get this place up and going as a, as a hotel. Um, but yeah, when I walked in the door, I was seven or eight years of age and me and my best friend stood here and just went, wow, this is like a massive playground. So we ran around for hours and hours playing school and just looking at the little nooks and crannies of the place and you know it was a dream come true especially for someone who loved horses so much I could just picture myself you know with with horses running around and you can actually there's some horses here today so you know the dream did come true. (laughs) It was a huge undertaking to refurbish and renovate the place and it's something that a lot of thought and effort has gone into because you said about Shelley Stokes went all over the world collecting tables furnishings different pieces to to make sure that the the building was very much in keeping with the era that it was built in. Yeah, it was definitely a huge part of their vision to keep the house as original as possible. A lot of the fireplaces, um, the stained glass windows, the staircase, the doorways, the, the, the windows, we tried to restore as much as possible. About 80% of the stuff is definitely restored, but we wanted to keep that whole 19, or that uh, 1700 feeling. She travelled around a lot of the antique shops to look for everything that was around that kind of era. Um, so a lot of the beds you see, a lot of the antiques within the rooms are from finds from around the world. And all of the suites, you have a number of suites upstairs which are beautifully named after yourself and your sisters, which I think is, is very, it's a lovely touch. Yeah. And each of those rooms are individually furnished, so no room is identical. Exactly. So every room is um, individually decorated. It has its own uh, antiques that are found from around the world, but there's also some family heirlooms dotted in there as well. All the, ba- the beds are handmade, and as you said, the rooms are individually named, so it's not necessarily the numbers. So it kind of gives a bit of a, a story to each guest that arrives. So, you know, all, all the girls in our family have a room. So there's Lady Sarah, Hannah, Tessa, Olivia, so it's great. And there's a beautiful feature that leads up to those rooms, and that's the staircase. Yeah, the I couldn't staircase. believe the age of the staircase. It really shows you how workmanship 300 years ago it was made to last yeah definitely it is the most beautiful staircase with this stained glass window overlooking it that's um shakespearean themed so they have uh, each play theme dotted around the window so it has another little bit of story to add to the place you're always adding to the the facility you're always developing it you travel a lot to get ideas and you have exciting plans for the next year or two yeah so we try and expand and improve what we have here just to make it a little bit more interesting for guests to come down and experience each time so this year we we opened up our new bar um which was built uh not too long ago maybe two months ago Um, which is absolutely stunning. And then towards the end of this year, start of next year, we're going to be extending one of our dining rooms into a a dining orangery, which will overlook our beautiful gardens and wall garden. And you grow a lot of of your own produce in the garden. Yeah, we we grow, we have a vegetable patch that our chefs use daily. I wouldn't call it a patch, no. (laughs) It's a bit bigger than a patch. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit bigger than a patch. But yes, our our kitchen garden, should we say. Yeah, that's a much better way to describe (laughs) it, I think. Um, Our chefs regularly use it daily to pick fruit and veg and um, fresh mint 
herbs etc for our for all our meals not including sorry not just our lunches our bar food but also our dining room and our wedding so and a few chickens also yeah we have a few chickens um not too many to make our own eggs here (laughs) but uh yeah there's a few chickens which is great for the kids so it's nice a nice little family touch i guess (laughs) What sort of menu do you offer to guests here? You're obviously using a lot of your own produce in the dishes and your chef has been with you for a number of years. Yeah, our head chef Graham Gallagher has been with us for a number of years now. Um, Not only is the head chef for our dining room here, he's also the head chef for all our weddings as well. So um, what you you get here in the restaurant, you'll also get down in, in our banqueting hall for our weddings. So you know everything's freshly prepared on the day if you want a steak medium done it'll be medium done and it'll be cooked to perfection so we take great pride in our food here so important on a wedding day to make sure that everything is 110 percent for the and there's a huge amount of choice as well we we offer so much variety of vegetarian dishes you know we make sure that our diet people with dietary requirements are catered for as well and it's a huge part of I think society today to kind of make sure that we adapt to that um, but a huge variety so our wedding men the wedding menus can be personally selected instead of chosen for you if you know what I mean and you're building another purpose-built site for weddings exactly that's another thing on our building list at the moment uh, we're going to be building a purpose-built civil ceremony building in our walled garden which will be covered in glass so it'll be overlooking our wall garden and our vegetable patch <laughs> but yes yeah, so, so that hopefully that'll be done by the end of 2017 very exciting yeah very exciting so it's a lot of a lot of stuff in the in the woodworks at the moment but um we're very looking forward to the future and there's you know we're ever growing here and it's um it's a very exciting time to be at castle Drew. I've been lucky enough to enjoy afternoon tea today, which is becoming increasingly popular. Hugely popular. We um, we only do a certain amount of afternoon teas a day because everything is done and made freshly that morning by our fantastic pastry chef, Audrey. So we make sure that every single person that comes down here has the best experience. So if they're celiac or if they're allergic to um, like to milk or dairy products then we make sure that that is completely catered for so i think i think that's a it's a big factor into um a lot of the afternoon teas across the country because it does involve sandwiches it does involve cream so we make sure that we cater for them but everything is made freshly that day and absolutely nothing is frozen and uh, we throw in a bit of bubbly there so it makes it a little bit more special too have you found that people's dietary requirements have changed over the years and that you're having to be more inventive whenever it comes to dishes to ensure that people can enjoy them if they have any allergies for example yeah i think um people are very much aware of what's going into their bodies these days and i think after so many years of people eating and drinking quite man-made synthetic foods that people are noticing that there's so many they're getting so many allergies and especially with medicine the way it is these days their people are detecting it earlier so yes it's definitely feeding into the the catering industry because we feed people three times a day and we we make sure that they're very well quenched so we need to make sure that these people aren't coming down and feeling ill after time every single time they eat and it makes it exciting for us because you know it lets us experiment with different produce different ways of cooking things so it's definitely exciting 
and you have experimented with your elderflower. There's been there's homemade elderflower yeah. cordial here. So um, Shelley is very big into making cordial. So we have homemade elderflower cordial. Um, the elderflower grows like wildfire down here. Um, so we've got a homemade elder cordial maker um, that we're very proud of. <laughs> so yes, we have uh, we try and make a lot of homemade cordials here ourselves, and um, we're now experimenting with the rhubarb. So we'll see how that goes. Yes, that will be interesting now <laughs> to see how that goes because you've loads of rhubarb out there yeah, at the moment. It's growing like wildfire. It's crazy. Another but, um, great way to use it up. Yes, definitely. And of also ideal for children to introduce them to something rather than the fizzy drinks. Exactly. It just kind of gives a variety of the drinks down here. It's not necessarily the seven up and the coke, it's the homemade lemonades that we do here as well. And it's the it's the cordials. So it's definitely broadening broadening horizons, not just for children but for adults alike. You're a very child friendly hotel. Yes. Well we are a huge family. There's seven of us in our family, so we kind of we, it's not just a hotel here it's our family home so we want to make it family friendly we have chickens we have tennis courts we have amazing um like gardens and stuff so it is it's definitely a haven for children and i think if i was a eight nine ten year old playing tip to can tip the can down here i think it would be heaven <laughs> and pets also we should point pets, out yes we have a lot of pets so as long as well as the chickens we have six dogs here as well we have numerous of cat cats that are very very friendly um and also a couple of horses so there's lots lots to pet and lots to to run and chase after <laughs> guests are allowed to bring their pets also. yes yeah we're definitely pet friendly so we do encourage we've got a certain um number of rooms that we have available for people to bring their pets down so that's absolutely no problem if listeners want to find out more about the hotel, where is the best place for them to go? The best place for them to go is our website, which is www.castleduro.com. We regularly update our website with all our amazing deals. So at the moment, we have our midweek deal starting from 210 per person. That includes dinner, bed and breakfast. The dinner is in our uh, beautiful white lady dining room, and it's a four-course meal. Um, and then for weekends, it starts at 235 those prices then go up in in coordination to the suite that they're going to stay in. Thanks so much for having me here today. I really enjoyed the afternoon tea and it's been beautiful to, to see Castle Duro. I really enjoyed the tour of it and all the best for the future, for the Thank next you. 300 years. <laughs> to the next 300 years, exactly. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was in County Leash enjoying afternoon tea at the stunning Castle Duro. And earlier in the show, food and wine magazine Rachel Keeley reviewed her latest dining spot and Avril McCardle from MyMilkMan.ie was talking about how technology today has complemented the delivery of milk to your front door. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or you can also use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's with Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, so let's find out what we can expect in the latest issue. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, how are you this evening? 
Very good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm great. And I would imagine it's always a relief whenever a month is finished and it's on the shelves. And today, the August issue is on the shelves. Exactly. Today is the day. So, yeah, it's one of our... uh another one of our uh, summer editions for uh, this year but um, yeah we're delighted with this issue it's just chock full of great recipes you know some really light nice things but also some kind of nice indulgent uh, summery meals as well so absolutely delighted with it well let's talk a bit about some of the specifics that are in the August issue of Easy Food magazine Um, one of the things that you're covering is what's in season and I think this is something that people are becoming more and more conscious of about trying to eat what is in season on a local basis that's the thing it's you know so many people you know as even as long as I've been at easy food more and more every year I see people are having more questions and want more information about locally sourced ingredients and especially what's in season because even though there are things out there in the grocery stores that might be available year-round it's nice to know that what you're eating is you know at its peak certain times of the year so in this issue, we're actually covering lettuce, which is funny because, again, one of those things we really eat all year round, but this is the time when it's really at its peak. So it's fresh. It has it's like just absolutely you know, chock full of flavors. Um, so if you're going to a farmer's market, um, this is really the time to kind of load up on the salads. Um, and we're also not only just giving salad recipes because, you know, anybody can kind of put together a salad, but we're kind of going through and talking about the differences between some of the most common lettuce leaves you might find, you know, again, either at a farmer's market or just, you know, in your local shop. Some lettuces, I feel, last a lot longer than others do. Like, I love getting the baby jam lettuce yeah. or the cos lettuce because it, yep. it just seems to survive longer in the fridge. I, I'm the same exact way. I'd say baby jam is probably my favourite because it's kind of a nice uh, mixture of, like, a butterhead and a cos lettuce. So it's got that crunchiness, but it's got a nice, like, flavour to it. Um, so, yeah, we kind of go through those and then... Uh, talking about different lettuces to use in different recipes you know which ones have a lot of flavor which ones are more mild which ones are the most nutritious so again just one of those handy things to know because you know i think so many of us just kind of go grab the first thing we see and throw it in the cart when really there's there's a good few things to know between the few of them and some of them the shape and the texture of the leaves they can actually nearly be used for little serving dishes themselves yeah. depending for canapes and things like that definitely actually one of my favorite recipes in this issue is in the watson season feature and it's a nice um they're little like steak uh, with soy sauce and rice served in a lettuce cup. So it's, it's so flavorsome, but it's really, really light. It would make a great canapé at a dinner party or if you just wanted kind of a nice alfresco dinner. Um, but like that, these iceberg, uh, yeah, I think those little iceberg cups, they hold their shape really well. So um, even though they might not be the highest in like nutrients compared to some other, you know, darker, leafier lettuces, uh, they're perfect for servings like that. Another item that caught my eye this month is it's from the Butcher's Block and it says Butcher Michael Fleming talks through the questions he wishes customers would ask. That's a very interesting article. It is. And, you know, it's we've been running these um, articles every issue of Easy Food for years, you know, talking to local butchers. And we finally got to the point where like, well, do you know what do they wish? we would ask them so we were kind of scratching our heads saying like is this really going to be worthwhile and you wouldn't believe the amount of things michael had to say so you know things from he was saying that he you know some people sometimes have this fear of going into the butcher and they're not sure that 
you know, oh, I might not know enough about what I'm asking for. Am I going to be in over my head? But he's saying he's encouraging everybody, especially if you don't know what you're really talking about, ask your butcher, ask him or her, you know, what, uh, what the best cut of meat would be for a certain recipe. Or he was saying one of the most common things that people have trouble with is quantities of meat. So if you tell them the recipe, how many people, they'll be able to tell you based on the type of meat how much to really get. Um, even recipe ideas. You know, if you see something on offer and you've never really cooked with it, ask your butcher and he's saying that they'll have loads of good ideas for, you know, if it's good for uh, grilling or baking or slow cooking. So, uh, you know, there's really a lot of things that aside from just, you know, putting a nice uh, serving of meat together for you that your butcher can really do. People are definitely more into becoming engaged with their butchers and their fishmongers, I think, in this day and age. And it's like not a bad thing at all. Not at all. And that's it. I mean, you know, they want you uh, to engage with them when you go inside. Like that's part of the like the, that's one of the greatest parts of going to a local butcher is that, you know, it's not just picking up something that's been vacuum packed and sealed in cling film on a long, you know, fluorescently lit line of groceries. This is you're able to talk to somebody who's an expert in this and you're getting good, the best quality meat at a really good price. And um, you know that when you're making that investment in meat that it's going to be put to the best use. If you have any questions whatsoever, that's why the butchers, they want you to ask and get engaged. So yeah, it, it was really interesting talking to him. Definitely now I know when I go to my local butcher, I'm gonna have, <laughs> I'm sure he's actually gonna hate me. I'm gonna have a list of questions to ask <laughs> next time I'm going in to buy my next butcher shop. You also have a number of kind of reader recipes this month and um, a food blogger as well is, yeah. is is included in this issue. Yeah, yeah. So we're including a few more, you know, guest uh, columnists and everything in Easy Food just to make sure that we're, you know, offering uh, just a wide range of like recipes and cooking ideas. So uh, we actually have two bloggers in this issue. We have um, Emer O'Donnell who... She writes a lot about, um, you know, kind of things that she'll grow in her garden and just really homey type of recipes. So uh, she's talking about uh, drinks made with seasonal blueberries, and they're all kid-friendly, things from like blueberry lemonade to a blueberry milkshake. So she's covering some really nice kind of homegrown recipes. Um, and then we have another, res- or sorry, we have another blogger, and she's all about kind of really healthy, wholesome cooking as well, but it's, you know, vegan and paleo-friendly. And um, one of the recipes she's including here is for a really nice, light, it's kind of like a couscous salad, but instead of using couscous, it's actually blitzed up cauliflower. Um, So she's really singing the praises of kind of the humble head of cauliflower because it's so versatile and you can really get, uh, you could soak up great flavors and the texture is so similar to grain, but for somebody who might be following um, a celiac friendly diet or, you know, somebody that just kind of wants to avoid carbs or grains, it's a super alternative. And you mentioned summer drinks there by Emma yeah. O'Donnell. You actually have a lovely bit. Cheers, darling. Add a little luxury to your summer with these Prosecco-inspired cocktails. And I know that <laughs> Rachel Keeley, who is our resident restaurant reviewer mm. on the programme, who was here at the start of the show tonight and enjoyed a bottle of Prosecco in her latest <laughs> dining spot, will be very interested in that section. Yeah. Oh, trust me, we were all very interested in this section. So we figured we wanted to balance out. Because, you know, I mean, like the best part about summer is being able to do stuff outside. So when you do get the weather, it's nice to uh, 
be able to go outside with a nice cocktail. So we did a beautiful spread of just some really simple recipes using uh, Prosecco or, you know, sparkling wine. Um, oh, they're just gorgeous. Um, and like that, it's just kind of using some nice summery flavors. So some uh, fruit pressés or even some kind of frozen fruits and such. It's They're super simple, but they're really impressive. And then finally, jazz up plain yogurt, because I'd say a lot of people just have not a clue what to do with plain yogurt. And I I mean, my first introduction to plain yogurt would have been whenever I was in France, when they pumped it full of sugar then, and it really was quite delicious. (laughs) I know that's, oh, please. I mean, some of the the yogurts I remember growing up with, I mean, they were like neon colored and sure, they tasted great when you were a kid. But then when you look back at them, you're like, oh, gosh, I mean, you may as well be having ice cream for breakfast. So these yogurt ideas are just super simple because so many of us, you know, even in the easy food office come in every day with just a little pot of plain yogurt. And, uh, you know, like we have like uh, some really sweet options, which I would be a nice fan of, but stuff like stewed apples with some currants and strawberries. And and by stewed, I mean, you can cook it the night before, let it cool and just kind of throw it on your um, yogurt the next morning. But then there's also some really cool savory options so there's kind of like a nice uh, harissa topping with some uh, chickpeas on there so you could use it for breakfast but also these are really nice protein filled snacks that you could have throughout the day some of them are super quick you know a bit of peanut butter and some sliced bananas um, and then some of them are a little bit more uh, impressive I guess. Okay, well, that's definitely one to look out for. So another jam-packed issue full of it fabulous is, recipes. You have the section there, mustn't forget about the children, because you always oh, have a yeah. few bits and pieces in there for the kids. We do. And we, you know, and especially if, you know, when kids are still on their summer holidays, it, one of the best places for them to be is in the kitchen with their parents, because it's kind of a nice, uh, you know, their uh, fun crafts and activities to do. But as well, then you get something gorgeous to eat at the end of it so we have some cute uh banana boats that they can make on the barbecue Uh, and then we've done a nice uh six page feature actually with some baking ideas that are really good for beginner bakers so like that if they're looking for something to do for the day these are really nice easy fail-safe recipes that are good for beginner cooks to kind of develop some confidence in the kitchen and just before you go caroline tell us who the guest editor is this month Right, we have Edward Hayden for this issue, and he's just amazing. He shared some of the best recipes for having people over. I mean, everything he has in terms of, like, entertaining and, you know, having friends and family over, these are just the perfect recipes. So we're delighted to have his stuff in this issue. Lovely. Now, I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into it into mo- in more detail. And as you said, it's out on the shelves today, so the listeners can go out and pick up their copy. Thanks so much for talking to us this evening, Caroline. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week. Soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests, Rachel Keeley, Avril McArdle, Sarah Stokes and Caroline Gray. Until next week. Bon Appetit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon Appetit.